0: Welcome to the Healthcare Policy Podcast. I'm the host, David Intricasso. Today's podcast concerns the state of pediatric or children's dental health. With me to discuss the topic is Dr. Burton Edelstein. Let me begin with some background, however. Tooth decay affects children more than any other chronic infectious disease. It is five times more common than asthma and almost entirely preventable. 40% of children aged 2 to 11 have untreated decay in their baby teeth, and among all children, 25% under age 19 have untreated caries or cavities. Disparities in dental health the CDC has termed profound, since the percentage of decay is substantially higher for poorer children, particularly African American and Hispanic. Despite the fact, paradoxically, poorer children are more likely to have dental coverage since it's required under Medicaid. Private health insurance plans frequently do not provide dental benefits for children. All this matters substantially because oral health is an integral part of both overall physical or systemic health as well as nutritional health. With me to discuss this topic again is Dr. Burton Edelstein. Dr. Edelstein is a board-certified pediatric dentist and the 1997 founder of the Children's Dental Health Project. He's practiced pediatric dentistry in Connecticut while teaching at both Harvard and UConn for over 20 years. Currently, he is professor of dentistry and health policy at Columbia University where he chairs the Department of Social and Behavioral Sciences at the College of Dental Medicine. Dr. Edelstein has authored over 100 publications on topics related to pediatric oral health, dental education and health policy. He presently serves as the commissioner as a commissioner of the Congressional Medicaid and CHIP Payment and Access Commission, termed MACPAC, and he finally is a graduate of SUNY Buffalo School of Dentistry, the Harvard School of Public Health, and he completed his pediatric dentistry residency at the Boston's Children's Hospital. So with all that, welcome, Bert.
1: Thank you very much.
0: So let's begin. The The statistics concerning children's poor oral or dental health are compelling. I'd say, depressing. What's your assessment?
1: In your introduction, you noted that the prevalence is extreme, but let me bring that to more of a uh, perspective of what it means to the children. Uh, Simply put, too many children suffer too much and too often from a chronic disease that's overwhelmingly preventable. So what we need to do is to... um, Take a good look at the prevalence, see where the disease is located within the population, consider where the opportunities and avenues are for intervention, and really focus at the beginning of the disease where uh, it it starts with the youngest children. When they establish their caries risk, their capacity to make cavities uh, is in the first years of life, and then the increase in uh, tooth decay prevalence is dramatic. So, let me share a couple of statistics about that. Based on the NHANES data that you mentioned earlier, uh, one in ten two year olds has physical evidence, uh, clear physical evidence of having already experienced cavities. And before cavities occur, there are other stages of the disease progression that could be picked up. Uh, For example, a decalcification, a white spot, a loss of mineral in the tooth that's visibly evident. That isn't counted in that statistic. Before that, heavy plaque that uh, adheres to the tooth in particular locations and in particular appearances that signals a child is at extreme risk of experiencing cavities later on. That's not included. Uh, And then microbiological tests of saliva that can suggest which children are at highest risk. So we can back up from cavities per se, but using cavities as sort of an endpoint, CDC's data suggests that 1 in 10, 11%, of two-year-olds have cavities. That increases to one in five at age three to one in three at age four, and it approaches half of the kids by age five. And amongst those kids, because their oral health was not taken care of, they need dental care. Dental care is primarily oriented, although it has a preventive component, it's primarily oriented toward identifying children who already have cavities and then restoring those cavities, restoring those teeth. Uh, And the evidence there for young children is that uh, 73% of all those kids I just talked about uh, have cavities that have not been repaired. So in answer to your question about uh, poor oral health, uh, we truly do have the single most common chronic disease of U.S. children, but one that is overwhelmingly preventable, and if not preventable, then suppressible or manageable, a chronic disease approach, and we'll talk more about that today.
0: Okay, let me ask you, since I've mentioned this, could you explain how oral health affects overall physical health?
1: Even before we consider the, the systemic ramifications of oral health, we can consider oral health itself and the functions of the mouth. So the mouth is a, a key organ in terms of uh, eating, speaking, breathing, uh, protection, immunity, uh, and there are very unique and specialized structures in the mouth that don't occur uh, anywhere else in the body. So anytime there is damage or uh, pathology or injury to the oral structures, you have ramifications on those various functions. So going back to the young children who are most severely affected, and by the way, uh, I, I failed to mention how profound the disparities are in the distribution of the disease. So it's not only highly prevalent, but it's concentrated amongst low-income kids uh, who have a number of uh, vulnerabilities uh, in addition to their dental conditions. Uh, But in terms of their function, uh, with the advent of early childhood caries, tooth decay before the age of of six, uh, these children end up with um, significant difficulties eating, Uh, They can have speech irregularities. But most importantly is that they can too often experience pain, and not only the pain from the toothache itself, but then uh, the sequence beyond that, infection. And so we have kids who uh, truly suffer, and suffer unnecessarily, as I said, because the disease is preventable. Beyond that, we have uh, systemic ramifications. Now, most of the relationships between oral health and general health relate to periodontal disease rather than to caries, and they are mostly issues for adults. Um, But kids who start off on the wrong foot with problems with caries and low-income populations in general are also more prone to developing and experiencing chronic periodontal disease, and with that, all of the ramifications of inflammation. So having circulating inflammatory byproducts Um, doesn't help any of your organs. And that's why there's a relationship with diabetes, with heart disease, with pregnancy. Uh, And a lot of this is still being worked out. But in general, you don't want to be walking around with a significant area of inflamed or infected tissue. And that's what periodontal disease uh, is all about. But back to the kids, uh, it's the dysfunction. And when, when kids can't eat well, can't sleep well, don't play nicely with others, can't attend well to learning, Uh, it it truly inhibits their capacity. And we certainly want to attend to maximizing opportunities for kids who are most socially vulnerable.
0: Great, great. Before we move on to policy and programming, I I do want to ask one other follow-up question. I'm sure you're well aware. One-fifth of children are clinically obese. So how does diet contribute to or exacerbate this problem?
1: So, while there's not a direct connection uh, in terms of um, prevalence studies, uh, what there is is a shared uh, determinant of of poor health. And what we're talking about there is uh, empty calories, uh, non-nutritious foods eaten with high frequency. And that style of eating um, relates both to the development of tooth decay and to the development of obesity. Now, when you look more closely at the kids who are most severely affected by early childhood tooth decay, what you find is that uh, they kind of split in terms of weight. You have kids who are heavy because of their poor diet, but you also have kids who cannot eat well because of the ramifications of their tooth decay, and they end up underweight. So there are studies that both suggest relationships with failure to thrive and relationships with obesity. But the common determinant of poor health here is a uh, unfavorable diet.
0: Okay, okay. In my introduction I mentioned access or coverage. Has access improved over the past few years, or specifically since the death of Diamante Driver in two thousand and seven? And just to note, Diamante was the twelve-year-old Marylander who died from complications of an abscess tooth despite his mother's substantial effort to find Medicaid, a Medicaid-participating dentist?
1: Well, David, the, your framing of the question is, is thoughtful because coverage then can lead to access. Access can then lead to utilization. Then we can be concerned about the content and quality of care and ultimately health outcomes. So it's a sequence that begins with adequate financing of care. And as you note, the majority, well, at this time, uh, MACPAC reports that just over half of children are eligible for Medicaid or CHIP, in part because of the uh, years of recession. Uh, And as we come out of that recession, that percentage of children will decline. But the good news is that with the ACA essential benefit, uh, if properly implemented, and with the uh, current commercial insurance, uh, the odds are that most U.S. children will have coverage, um, and either public coverage or private coverage, which is in sharp contradistinction to adults, uh, which is another topic altogether, but we have over 100 million adults who do not have access to dental coverage. So we go from coverage then to access. Uh, Access is compounded and conflated with other issues, including the acceptance of various insurance by providers. So children who have commercial insurance and the children who we anticipate will be picking up commercial insurance under the exchanges created by the Affordable Care Act uh, are expected to have relative ease of identifying providers, Uh, and therefore access will lead to utilization, or at least uh, the doors will be open so that parents can elect to bring their children through those doors. It's a more complex issue on the Medicaid and CHIP side because there are far fewer dentists who are actively providing care to children in Medicaid and CHIP. The American Dental Association reports that about 6% of general dentist patients are covered by Medicaid and about 18% of pediatric dentist patients are covered by Medicaid. But as I mentioned, uh, uh, MACPAC reports that about half of kids are either enrolled or eligible for Medicaid and CHIP. So, there's a real problem there, and that problem has been addressed by the federal government through policy in part by establishing the Insure Kids Now website. The Insure Kids Now website allows parents to go online and identify information about their state's uh, dental Medicaid program, as well as to uh, locate dentists by zip code. Uh, studies of Insure Kids Now have shown that uh, there are still bugs in the system. There are dentists who uh, are listed who are not, in fact, Medicaid providers. There are dentists who are listed in our Medicaid providers but are closed to new patients. Uh, there are dental office locations that are inconsistent with where the dentist may have moved to. So there are logistic and uh, access issues for people particularly Uh, in families covered by Medicaid. Now, the good news about Medicaid is that the EPSDT, the Early and Periodic Screening, uh, Diagnosis, and Treatment. Yes, the EPSDT program does ensure that if our children are enrolled in Medicaid, they do have a dental benefit. And access to care for those children has increased rather dramatically in recent years, in part because the profession has paid so much more attention, In part because of new delivery models and new delivery systems, particularly uh, multi state um, corporate dental organizations. And so we've gone, we've almost doubled uh, in recent years the percentage of children who not only have access, but in Medicaid, not only have access, but actually utilize dental services. And we're approaching up around 40 to 45 percent, according to um, reports by the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services. If that's the case, then they're starting to approach the level that commercial kids utilize service, Uh, even when it's accessible, uh, utilization uh, lags behind access per se. So finally, now, having addressed coverage, having addressed access, anticipating more utilization, now we can start to really start looking at the question of access to what. What is it that children and families... Children in the context of families, children in the context of families and communities, what is it they should be able to access when they seek to access health care?
0: All right, so let me back up and clarify on one point. On the essential health benefit point you made, that means under the Affordable Care Act, if an insurance plan wants to offer a policy under the state exchange, they, as an essential health benefit, they have to offer dental insurance or dental coverage. So that's the improvement there. Per your point about while a significant percentage of children are covered on the Medicaid um, program, though they're underrepresented um, in actual uh, dental visits, the rub there is, of course, reimbursement. Um, And that is why a significant number of dentists do not participate or limit their participation in the Medicaid program. Is that correct?
1: Well, it is a common claim by dentists, as well as physicians and other providers, that Medicaid payments are insufficient for them to participate actively in Medicaid. The uh, The data are less clear and less assertive than are the claims, and there's no question that in those states where Medicaid pays uh, poorly, well below the usual and customary fees charged by dentists, uh, there are fees low enough that it does impede dentist capacity to participate. But we don't see a linear relationship. We don't see that as payment goes up that provider participation increases and access increases and utilization increases. There appear to be threshold phenomena. There appear to be other concomitant issues for the dentist's. Uh, that go beyond the typical three that are often cited. The three that are often cited are low payment, uh, patients who um, miss appointments, and uh, complex paperwork or administration. Um, But it appears that uh, even when those issues are addressed, there's still a lesser participation in Medicaid than there is in commercial insurance by dentists. And so there are studies underway um, by sociologists and others who are trying to understand some of the deeper uh, reasons why there may be uh, reticence on the part of dentists. And, and one that seems to be uh, of, of significance may be that graduate dentists, uh, those who, who are uh, freshly graduated from dental school, have had precious little experience with young children. And there's really a question as to the dentist's comfort, especially in young children who have rampant disease or who have rampant disease and are more complex to engage because of language barriers or culture barriers, uh, or simply the uh, logistic barriers, the dentist not being located where those kids live. So yes, payment is a significant piece. It's a necessary but not sufficient condition. Uh, but there are layers upon layers upon layers of additional considerations that need to be attended to, and need to be attended to with some urgency.
0: Okay, thank you. Let me stay with the Affordable Care Act and ask about a particular provision, and that's 5304, and that allows the Secretary to award grants to train or employ alternative dental providers to increase access in underserved communities. The reason I ask this question is because this is this generic uh, issue Uh, related to scopes of practice, uh, which is to say that there's been a fairly heated debate over the last several years concerning liberalizing scopes of practice for dental hygienists. That is to allow them to practice uh, or to do more or to practice more unsupervised. So back to 5304, what's your assessment of it? And specifically, actually, has the Secretary moved forward with this provision?
1: It's a fascinating provision because it creates the opportunity to experiment, uh, and to date it has not been funded, so there are no grants being issued by the federal government uh, under that provision. However, as the provision is written, it allows for real creativity. It allows for dentistry to look more broadly at, as medicine is, is currently doing, at team care, systems of care, organized systems of care that involve people who have complementary skills. So, for example, it provides the opportunity to really focus on disease management, on health behaviors, on uh, improving and changing health behaviors, and dealing with families at the level where they have to make on-the-ground, day-to-day decisions, while dentists are thoroughly informed about cariology and they know how to treat the disease and they know how to treat the ramifications of the disease, there are other professionals who really have unique skills, interests, abilities, training to address health behaviors. health educators, social workers, community health workers, dietitians and nutritionists, um, nurse practitioners, uh, people who look at healthcare care, from the perspective of health rather than disease. People who look at uh, engaging families in a very idiosyncratic, personalized, tailored, individualized way. For example, it wouldn't be typical of a dentist advising a family about uh, oral health behaviors or diet to go to the depth of considering the child's day. Where the child wakes up in the morning, who takes care of the child during the day, when grandma is there and parents are off working, or what the uh, social environment, the built environment, uh, the uh, financial environment of the family is, and what their opportunities and constraints are. So we really need to tap into a broad awareness of others who can partner with dentistry. There there are other kinds of partnerships already ongoing, dentists partnering with hygienists, dentists partnering with physicians. Um, But the more we look at chronic disease management approaches and sort of parallel the way uh, diabetes in young children or asthma in young children or even obesity in young children uh, is now being approached, we can start to imagine alternative providers who are not necessarily doing classically dental things. Now, the law as crafted also allows uh, a wide range of other more traditional uh, activities and you mentioned changes in scope there's a phenomenon across healthcare uh, that has often been referred to as um, um, up scoping or scoping up and uh, it, it's true in pharmacy it's true in nursing uh, it's true in dentistry with more and more dental schools uh, looking to train dentists to provide some primary health care screening, um, hypertension screening, diabetes screening, uh, AIDS screening, health counseling that goes beyond uh, oral health counseling. Uh, that's scoping up for the dentists themselves. What I'd suggest is that we are in a transition from volume-based purchasing to value-based purchasing, from looking at process to looking at outcomes. And as we move in that direction, especially as we start thinking about global payments for health outcomes, there's opportunity for real creativity, real dynamism, as dentists, physicians, healthcare providers of all types, look around and see who they could best team up with and how they could engage the determinants of, in our case, oral health, in addition to the determinants of dental care. Okay. Terrific opportunities out there.
0: Okay. You're in Washington, D.C. this week because MACPAC, again, the Medicaid and CHIP Payment and Access Commission, is meeting. You you mentioned uh, MACPAC's work briefly, but let me ask in this way. I searched the MACPAC website, Using several keywords and phrases, and I could not find anything regarding pediatric dental health. Although the meeting tomorrow, there is a, there is a session on adult dental health. So my question is, has MACPAC addressed pediatric or children's dental health, or what will or can it do to address again these issues of low rates of dentist participation uh, and shortages of dental specialists, et cetera?
1: After all, it is an access and payment commission. And so it does need to uh, turn its attention. The the great news about MACPAC is that amongst the 17 commissioners, there is tremendous salience, interest, and commitment to addressing pediatric oral health. And as you mentioned, tomorrow will be the very first panel that the commissioners will hear from on oral health, but it will be about adults. The genesis of that, I think, is telling because federal health policymakers, particularly Congress, has long attended to pediatric oral health and long been neglectful of adult oral health. For example, there's no dental benefit in Medicare. There's no dental benefit in Medicaid. It's only the EPSDT pediatric benefit that captures the dental. Uh, there was at the original S-CHIP, the state child health insurance program, when adults were covered, there was not an adult dental benefit. And for the children, it was an optional dental benefit. And so the history has been that Congress seems to understand that children have mouths, but they lose them upon turning 18. <laughs> Something happens that the mouth is no longer significant. So when MACPAC turned its attention to oral health, the question was asked of, of me as a commissioner and of other commissioners, what single issue would you prioritize? And as much as I, my heart beats as a pediatric dentist and as much as I'm committed to to attending to children at the youngest age and setting them straight on a path that's going to take them to good health. The response was, it is unthinkable, it is biologically implausible, it is socially irresponsible for safety net insurance programs, public insurance programs to exclude the mouth and leave it to states. At this time, there are states that don't even cover emergency relief of pain and infection for adults. There are a significant number of states that only cover emergency relief of pain and infection. And the answer is equivalent to amputation. The only recourse that so many people have as adults in Medicaid is extraction of their teeth. Take children who have benefited from good care under Medicaid, when they turn to adults, especially children who have developmental disabilities or other uh, significant handicaps, they simply lose their dental benefit in those states upon uh, turning to adulthood. So when uh, MACPAC did take this up, uh, the very first issue that uh, the group collectively uh, decided to do was adult coverage. That doesn't mean... That there's not plenty to attend to on the pediatric side, uh, but we needed to start somewhere, and the commission elected to start with this question of uh, adults failing to have uh, any kind of reasonable coverage in all but about seven or eight states. Only seven to eight states currently uh, provide what dentists would recognize as a reasonably comprehensive dental benefit under Medicaid. Under Medicaid, okay, and 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 with these boomers, ten thousand a day turning 65. Many of these are folks who've long enjoyed commercial dental coverage, look forward to their retirements, but have slim savings and slim income and no dental coverage under Medicare. So a population that has long received good care is going to suddenly find itself having access difficulties because of financial reasons.
0: Okay, I think unfortunately we have time for one last question. It's sort of the catch-all question, and that is, recognizing that MACPAC will, per your comment, get to pediatric dentistry or children's dental health. What are what other policy recommend recommendations, say above and beyond access or coverage, do you think are achievable to improve pediatric dental health? And feel free to mention, certainly, since I did note in my introduction that you're the founder of the Children's Dental Health Project or the work that the Children's Dental Health Project is
1: doing. Well, the Children's Dental Health Project has been leading policy efforts to improve children's oral health and dental care uh, while respecting the needs of families, of children, and of providers. And we have uh, organized a number of significant efforts that came to greatest fruition in the Affordable Care Act. The Affordable Care Act has two dozen uh, oral health provisions which, taken together, create a truly systematic approach to prevention, workforce, safety net, coverage, infrastructure, surveillance. It has all the pieces of an integrated system that's needed to make sure that uh, people covered by the uh, new insurance available through the Affordable Care Act uh, will in fact be able to access coverage that is meaningful and services that are beneficial. So it even goes so far as to uh, authorize with the CHIPRA, the CHIP Reauthorization Act, in tandem with CHIPRA, to authorize 2009 a number of provisions that are truly about prevention, about disease management, disease suppression, about assuring that the workforce is well-trained to think more about early intervention and case management and disease management. Uh, to partner with others through the provision that we already discussed, to be appropriately financed, to think about health outcomes, to establish metrics, to work with state infrastructure. Uh, so the the bills, the two bills, are just chock a block with good policies. The question is moving them from authorization into appropriations, particularly now in such a sequester delimited difficult time, and then into real change in the dental care delivery system that looks much more at health outcomes. So uh, at the top of the list right now are making sure that the essential benefit in ACA truly is uh, delivered through the exchanges in a way that reflects its essential nature, and there's some controversy ongoing right now with federal regulation. It's the public education campaign that helps the public learn the difference between dental care and oral health and the determinants of oral health. Uh, and focuses on pregnant women and young children. Uh, provisions that would bring health education, oral health education, to the youngest children, uh, literally at the time of their birth, uh, to inform parents about risks and the importance of early intervention. Uh, there are provisions that relate to uh, securing a sufficient safety net, ensuring that coverage is meaningful, uh, looking at quality measures for outcomes. Uh, the Uh, provisions that we already talked about in terms of um, workforce, but beyond that, uh, expanded training of dentists to understand better the population of children and where the disease is located. So just chock-a-block, I don't think we have much more work to do at this time on establishing the policies. We have tremendous work to do on implementing the policies. Thank you so much for asking. Thank you. And I think that is uh, our time.
0: We're at our time boundary. So let me thank you again.
1: My pleasure.